Good morning and welcome back. I'm Rick Brown. Thank you for joining us on today's Seek First podcast, where we share biblical truth and engage in today's culture. Take a minute to subscribe to the Seek First podcast. Thanks, everybody. Stick around. I think you're going to be encouraged. Spending time with the Lord will be the best part of your day. So let's get ready. Grab your Bible, prepare your heart and mind. Let's go. Well, it's been a minute since we've been together, but we're in Genesis chapter 6, going verse by verse through the Word of God. And so if you need a Bible, raise your hand. Our servants team is going to get one of those to you. And in a moment, we'll stand and read the Word of the Lord for the first 12 verses. But the title of our message is The Days of Noah. And as we go through chapter 6, 7, 8, and 9, we're going to see one of the most incredible descriptions from the Word of God about a past judgment that goes through a lot of controversy as far as people are concerned. It's not controversial on my part. I just take the Lord at his word, what he says. I believe it, I live it out, and it always bears fruit. But there are those who challenge the thought of a uh, global uh, flood. They want to call it a localized flood. Whatever the case may be, uh, you know, could you possibly put a bunch of people in a big barge Uh, I shouldn't say a bunch of people, eight people with a bunch of animals and a big barge and survive this kind of cataclysmic event that seems to have changed the atmosphere of the earth, changed the topography, changed the temperatures, uh, changed the um, dynamic of islands and mountains that shot up. I mean, a real transformation took place through the global flood. And yet there are those who uh, snicker at it as some kind of mythology, but the reality is every culture around the earth, ancient culture, has a flood narrative. And mythology usually comes out of some sense of truth that gets twisted over time through various cultures. And as we look at this passage of scripture, we're going to look at the days of Noah, why the flood came. And the days of Noah are so important because we're going to connect the dots that Jesus said, just like the days of Noah, it's going to be like the days of Noah when the Son of Man comes again. I'm excited about Jesus coming back again. How many of you are excited about that, right? (laughs) Beam us up, Lord. Let's go in the rapture. We're excited about Jesus coming again. And... The reality is we can look at the days of Noah and see a parallel to where we are today. And we'll point that out as we go through it. So let's look at the cultural relevance, what is going on. And we, I mean, this couldn't be at a more appropriate time in our culture and what has really unfolded in the last three years because it's just went on hyperdrive of wickedness in the land. Because bad people in leadership bring bad policies that produce a bad result in communities around the nation. And when you are propping up a very small percentage of very aberrant behavior and saying now this is the norm that's leading the way and cramming it down everybody's throat, there's a certain point even the most uh, (laughs) passive individual finally says, time out. We're tired of getting this crammed down our throat, all right? Enough is enough. I mean, you know that when you're on the same page as beer drinkers, there's something different going on, right? (laughs) There's something happening. Christians and Bud Light consumers are on the same page about pushing back against the transgender agenda. 
And as we look at this, we're going to see those parallels and really be encouraged in a backhanded way that in the midst of this darkness, Jesus said, I'm going to come again in these dark days. The Lord is going to come again. And in the midst of this darkness, there's a guy that discovered incredible grace. His name is Noah. And you and I, God's grace is available to each of us through these dark times, even when things seem to be, the wheels seem to be coming off. Let's stand together. Let's read these first 12 verses and get a feel for the days of Noah. Now it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. There were giants on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing, birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generation. Noah walked with God, and Noah begot three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And the earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. Lord, we ask that as we look at the days of Noah, that your spirit that inspired these words would inspire us with revelation, not only for our own hearts and what was happening then, but how it applies to our lives now. Lord, may we find grace in your sight as Noah did, being justified by faith in your son Jesus, who gave his life to wash away our sins and to fill us with your spirit, to lead us into your truth and to teach us from your heart in heaven, what you want to reveal to each of us today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. First thing we see in this Genesis account of what's going on is a population explosion. It said that when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born to them, in verse 1. There's a population explosion going on because of the longevity of life. The average lifespan of man was 900 years of age. We have the oldest man recorded that we just, when we finished chapter 5, though it's been a few weeks, that was Methuselah, 969 years of age. And the others were, you know, Adam was 930, Jared was 962. It's, it's bouncing around in, you know, almost a millennium. Can you imagine living that long? I'm only 58, and I'm ready for this deal to be done, right? It's like, come, Lord Jesus, I'm ready for heaven. I, I'm not, there's no big thrill that I'm waiting for. It's, it, I, just imagine, I haven't even, I'm not even a teenager, so to speak, right? And 
this population explosion, if people are not dying and there's no birth control, imagine the incredible amount of people that was living on the face of the earth. We are going through our own population explosion. There have been those, especially those who want to emphasize eugenics, that somehow we need to uh, use birth control and then also medical means so that people do not continue to procreate. China did their best at it, and now they've sown the wind, now they're reaping the whirlwind. It, it turns out you actually need a younger population to be coming up to take care of the older population. It's just a, I, you would have thought somebody would have spoke up about that. And if everybody wants their name to continue on and it goes through the sun and they're aborting all the female uh, children that are coming on, the, you're gonna have problems. I guess it's one way to raise up a very angry, frustrated army of young men. <laughs> it, it, that'll work. But now it, it's turned the other way. They say by 2050, okay, so that's less than 30 years, 28 years from now, the earth is going to see a decline in population that begins to plummet. A people need a 2.3 birth rate to maintain a civilization or their, their nationality, whatever it might be. So 2.3. So I, like a lot of people, I had two children. I kind of missed the mark. I should have got the point three, right, if I wanted to continue on. But then there's those families that have three, four, five, six. You know, Micah, a young man, just 30 years of age, he's got five. I mean, he's going for an even dozen. So uh, he's going to make up for me and a few other people on the team. But now they realize that all of the westernized world, this includes America, Europe, all of them by 2050, their population decline of who they are as a nation is gonna be significantly changed. This is gonna happen in China and everywhere else in the world. It's not happening in India because they do not enforce, obviously, uh, birth control. So India is going to become the largest nation in the world. They're gonna surpass China. And other nations that do not, the, the Muslim nation is very much like Catholics or Mormons that promote, Muslims move into a neighborhood and they take it over by birth rate. They take it over by population. That's why they're going into the Nordic countries or the Scandinavian countries and they're taking over those populations because those people are, are below even two point in population. So by in 30 years, folks, the entire demographic of the world is gonna change. So here's a population explosion that's happening back then, but now we're going to see, people said that the planet cannot sustain 10 billion people. We're right now at seven and three quarters, we're bumping up next to eight billion people in the world. Secondly, there's an unnatural attraction, for it says that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. The sons of God and the daughters of men seem to be two different groups. It's not just like somebody coming to a, a Christian single mingle and meeting somebody. Something else is going on there, and we'll unpack that in a moment. But there seems to be something nefarious, diabolical, shall we say demonic in this experience. There's also the declaration in the midst of this of the opportunity is limited. It's, there's a limitation to opportunity to get right with God. He says that my spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. 
The Lord says, my spirit's been striving, my spirit's been striving. Men, women are rejecting the spirit of the Lord that's knocking on the door of the heart. The Holy Spirit's the one that comes alongside us, that convicts us and, and draws us to Jesus. And, and the Lord says, you know what, what, no longer 900 years. Now there are those who believe because of the context that there's a flood coming, that it's saying that you have 120 years till the flood comes. That's a possibility. But because Genesis 5 ends with Noah at 500 years of age, and then the Lord speaks to him here, and he goes into the ark at 600 years of age, that's 100 years, not 120 years. I believe personally that the, the second interpretation of this passage is the Lord is drawing a line in the sand that we went from an average age of 900 years of age now it's gonna be about 120 years of age. And then when Moses writes the 90th Psalm, then it goes to 70 to 80 years of age. There's a slow decline from 900 to 120. So Moses died at what age? 120. Uh, his uh, predecessor, Joseph, of uh, 400 years, died at 110. And it slowly went down. Abraham was 175. Isaac was 180. Jacob was 147. Joseph was 110. And Moses was 120 when he died. Then the average age now is 70 to 80 years around the planet. What is the average age of uh, lifespan in America? If you combine the genders, 79.3. I would say that's pretty close, wouldn't you? <laughs> pretty accurate in what the Lord has said. So there's a limitation. The thing is, you guys, there is a day we do not know when. There is a line we do not know where when God's spirit stops knocking on the door of a human heart and says, you've made your decision. Your eternity is sealed. You don't want my son? You don't believe in his sacrifice for your sins? Fine. God's a total gentleman. He steps back and he says, my spirit's not gonna always strive with you. And there's that moment and that time in which that stops. And the Lord says here, if he's given a lifespan, that, that time stops at your last breath, at your last heartbeat, praise God, right? You got that last 30 seconds, Jesus save me. It doesn't take much to be long, very long to get saved by faith. But then there's now this demonic sexual mutation that takes place as I talked about the unnatural attraction. This is a very controversial passage. I'm gonna give you the three basic interpretations from different commentaries and Bible teachers. In verse four it says, there were giants in the earth in those days and also after the flood. So there's giants before the flood and after the flood. When the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bore children to them, those were the mighty men who were of old or men of renown, the word is the Rephilim, Rephim. And so uh, the Nephilim, the Rephaim, there's a number of names for them, are giants. David killed a giant by the name of Goliath that was nine foot, eight inches tall. He literally was four inches from t standing under a basketball hoop just like this. That's how big Goliath was. We have somebody like Og, king of Bashan. Do you know why you have a king-sized bed? Og, king of Bashan's bed was 13 foot long because the dude just didn't need more room. He was ginormous. He was a giant. The scriptures talk about all these different people, the Moabites, the Edomites, um, the Ammonites. They all had different names for the giants. The Israelites called them the Anakim. Well, there were giants before the flood. There were giants after the flood. But it's because the sons of God 
married the daughters of men and had sexual relations with them. Now, the first interpretation that is non-spiritual in nature, well, I guess it's spiritual in that some are it's unbelievers marrying uh, believers, is the thought that the godly line, as we see here, the sons of God, A, godly line of Seth, and the ungodly line of Cain, is basically the descendants of Cain and the descendants of Seth. There's a godly line, there's an ungodly line, and these unbelievers are intermarrying, but that doesn't explain why they're creating giants, though many believe this interpretation. If you do, you have every right to be wrong. I give you that freedom. B, they are demons and women, which is a little, it is the most out there, the most difficult to wrap your head around because how does a non-physical body have sex with a physical body? The third interpretation is a demon-possessed men had sex with women and there was some kind of mutation that took place, some specific satanic onslaught to contaminate the bloodline because the devil knowing that the seed of a woman one, one day, the Lord Jesus come, and as we'll see in a moment, Noah was just, which had to do with him being right by faith with God, but he was perfect in his generation. And some believe that perfect in generation means that he genetically had not been contaminated by the sons of God and the daughters of men experience in that whole dynamic. So I, I lean towards the third interpretation uh, option C, and that is the demon-possessed people inhabiting bodies. By the way, those who believe that the godly line of Seth and the ungodly line of Cain, which was just uh, humans, that one group being followers of God and one not followers of God, they'll point to Matthew twenty-two thirty that says, uh, Jesus said, in marriage we will be like the angels, we won't be married. You know, I'll know Tammy in heaven. Somebody said, do you think we'll know each other in heaven? I said, for heaven's sakes, I hope we're not stupider in heaven than we are here. If I know you now, right, we're gonna know each other there. And I'll know Tammy, but I'm not gonna be married to my wife, Tammy. A couple of weeks ago, we celebrated our 37th wedding anniversary. We went out the first time when I was 17. She's the only woman I've ever loved. And if the Bible taught that I could be married to this chick, I'd say, right on. Now, if your marriage is not so good, that's a bad theology for you. You wouldn't like that at all, right? That's why the Mormons came up with their own theology with multiple wives that the man had the opportunity after the resurrection to call forth in the resurrection the wives he liked. So that, that you know, has a way of solving those problems. Anyway, I digress. So, <clears throat> but the reality is, is that uh, just because it says we will not be married in heaven and that angels are sexless, people take that verse and that passage and say that, no, it just says there's no marriage in heaven. It doesn't say they're sexless. We don't know that. I'm not saying they are. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is you can't build a case there very strongly from that because it's simply not marriage. And the angels, are these are disobedient angels. As a matter of fact, if you want to do some study, I don't have to do all the studying for you. You can look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 19 through 20, 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 9, and Jude chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, because these passages specifically put together the fallen angels and sexual immorality in a different way. And because of that, these specific demonic creatures have been put in chains until the great day of judgment. We know that there are demons alive and well and active that are free, they're not in chains, but these specific demons, because of their violation, 
are in chains because of what they had done. And so there's some crazy things. Now, we don't see giants in mutations. Now, also because after the flood, it obviously doesn't solve it all. But the reality is now, do you think that we have a demonically sexually crazed culture? It's like bizarrity, right? It's unbelievable. If I, as a guy, decide I'm going to become a woman, which every single soul, uh, every single chromosome in my body, every cell is, is masculine, okay? And so if I go into surgery and they, you know, do some brutal, brutal things to my body and say that I'm going to be a woman. Now, the only reason our culture has got to this place is because modern technology, because I promise you back in the days of Noah, if they could have done that in technology, medically, they would have pursued it, right? Because of the bizarre nature that when we fall far, far, far from God, there seems to be no bottom to the depths that we go. Then we see man's wickedness, which is something that if you've ever got a real glimpse of your own heart, this does not shock you in verse 5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 15 that the problem is not on the outside of our bodies, but sin comes from our fallen nature. It comes from our own heart. That our own evil nature, the thoughts that we have, the adultery or the lust or the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, the things that John basically puts three categories to the struggles that you and I have every day of our life. Now God's grace and God's spirit comes in and changes us as believers and transforms us and gives us the power to be obedient to God and to resist that. But it is a struggle between flesh and spirit that Galatians chapter 5 describes, that these two are contrary. They're in conflict with each other. But imagine if these people have rejected the Spirit of God and God's Spirit is no longer striving with them and the Lord says in Romans chapter 1, he says he gave them up. He, do you realize that the wrath of God described in Romans chapter 1 was that when people said, I don't want you, God, I want my sin to the full, that the wrath of God was to give them over to it. He said, you want that? Okay, there you go. That's the wrath of God. You want to see the wrath of God in modern times? As the Spirit of God stops tugging on your heart for you to resist, he just says, you want it? There it is. He gave them over. He gave them over. He gave them up to vile passions. God just gives you up. He just gives you over. And here's a whole planet of people that the Lord has given up. He's given over. And he sees the thoughts of their heart. And God is grieved by it, God's grief in verse six. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. God was sorry, God was grieved. You see, there are three distinctions that make someone a person or a being a person. We have thoughts, we have emotions, and we have a will to make decisions. You have thoughts, you have emotions, you have a will. We're created in God's image. God has thoughts, he has emotions, he has a will. He's grieved, he's brokenhearted that his creation that he made in the garden. Now because God has foreknowledge and God has this ability to know the, the, the end from the beginning, he knew it was gonna end up here, but he gives the revelation of a, just, I mean, you ever struggle with a teenager? Right, you have a teenager going astray, your heart's just broken, you're up late at night, you're crying yourself to sleep. They're out of control. 
doesn't matter how old your kids are, if things are wrong with them, it's, it's a grief, you're burdened, right? That's just a parental thing. You did not know that this little package you brought home from the hospital was gonna jerk your chain for the rest of your life. It's just the way it is. You love them, and your heart is intertwined with them. And our Father in heaven looks at humanity, and he's sorry, and he's grieved in his heart. Can you use stronger language than that from God to communicate how he feels about this? No. And God's decision in verse 7, so the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing, and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. Here, here's where people charge God with wrongdoing. How dare God wipe out an entire planet of population minus eight people he's going to put on a barge to float around for a year, basically, and come out the other side and repopulate the earth? Well, God created everything in the first place, and he has that choice. And do you know that all of us are terminal? Why is it that if, if somebody dies when they're 20, it's a tragedy. If they die at 80, it's a relief. Why is that? Because we have an expectation of what's appropriate for death. right? You get a good long run, 70, 80 years, and you're done. Had a good life. But if that life is taken early, well, who are we to judge when life is terminated, when that child dies, when the 20-year-old dies, when this happens or that, you did, everybody in this room is terminal. You got that, right? None of us, unless the rapture happens, which I'm pulling for, I would totally like to bypass the whole, right? Let me out of here. I think that would be way cool to bypass death. But if not, I, there's no other way out of this deal, you guys. So that being said, when God chooses to terminate the life of everybody that is already terminal, and he does it in his sovereign choice by the judgment of God, the next time he's going to do it is not by a flood, but he says by fire, as we see in the book of Revelation through the seven seals, the seven trumpets, and the seven bold judgments. And it says at that time that the people that are around God's throne say, holy and true and righteous are your judgments, O God. When God's judgment is dealing in a future judgment that's coming to planet Earth, God says, I mean, the people around God's throne say, righteous and true are your judgments. You see, those who are closest to God's throne agree with God the most. And those who are the farthest away from God's throne agree with God the least. It is God's prerogative to bring my last breath when he chooses to. And I accept that. When he's done with me, could happen right now, 58, major heart attack, boom. Wouldn't it be great to go preach? And I would think, wow, come to heaven. Look, caught me preaching. Went to heaven, there for 30 seconds. And all of a sudden, the light starts coming back. And I wake up, and there's Pastor Craig doing mouth to mouth. <laughs> I want you to know I'm going to punch him right in the mouth. I'm in heaven and you brought me back to this garbage. You deserve that black eye. Don't ever revive me. Do not resuscitate. Should wear a big tag around my neck. Do not resuscitate. I'm ready to go. All right? But in the midst of this, there's somebody that found grace. 
You see, a sentence of judgment by the judge of the earth was passed. Guilty. All will die. Except one guy. He found grace. Doesn't say he deserved grace. Look what it says in verse 8. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And this is his genealogy because you see the grace that comes to him, then that grace gets to go to his three boys, Ham, Shem, and Japheth. These three boys. And the grace of God that comes to you and I, that he found grace. How'd grace find you? How'd you find grace? We say, I found the Lord. Well, the Lord's never been lost a day in his life, but he found us, right? So however you want to put that together, when you discovered the grace of God, and that is simply this, that by faith, I believe that what Jesus did for me in my place to die on the cross for my sins made me just as if I'd never sinned in his presence. It's called justification by faith. You see, there are two types of people, and even in the church, it's really sad because we can get hung up on this just in our humanness. There is a group of people, even here tonight, we're not gonna have you show your hand, raise your hand, but there are those that deep down inside, you sincerely have a hard time with grace. You're constantly trying to earn and deserve or believe and receive. Who are you? Believing and receiving is the entire hall of fame of faith. By faith, Noah moved with godly fear when he heard what was gonna happen, a flood's coming. By faith, Abel offered a more excellent sacrifice. By faith, Abraham went out not knowing where he was going. You see, faith, when I hear God's word and I believe God's word, faith takes place. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God, as it says in Romans chapter 10, verses 17. When I hear the promise of Jesus loves me, died on the cross for my sins, and rose from the dead, and that if I believe that he died for me and that he rose from the dead, and I say, Jesus is Lord, according to Romans 10, I will be saved. All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Not some, not, but how are you coming? Even, maybe you've been a Christian for 30 years. But you know, you're just concerned God's really not gonna hear your prayers because you haven't been very good lately. Earning and deserving, earning and deserving. You bring this into your Christian life, earning and deserving, earning. I, I can wake up in the morning totally confident that I'm right with God, that his grace is towards me, and I go to bed at night totally confident because it's not based on me, it's based on believing his word and his faithfulness. You are the happiest person in this room if you are constantly, daily, morning, noon, and night, realizing this is simply believing the promises of God and receiving. Believing and receiving. And if you want to be a frustrated, miserable, unfruitful individual in your heart, mind, and soul and be joyless, have your approach be earning and deserving, earning and deserving, earning and deserving. Now, when grace comes... It draws us. The goodness of God leads us to repentance. The goodness of God draws us into a place of wanting to serve, wanting to, to be, be transformed. The grace of God teaches us to deny all ungodliness. The grace of God teaches us these things. Noah found grace. He found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And therefore, the grace and the favor that I found, I get to share it with my kids and my grandkids. You get to share it with your children and your grandchildren. 
because the grace of God flows through families. Now, the corruption and violence in verse 11, the earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. So the corruption and the violence, look at the violence around the world. Look at the violence in the big cities, and through COVID, as they're getting these... uh, progressive DAs that will not enforce the law. The murder rates are, I mean, all the crime is going off the chart. You watch, like in San Francisco, people are selling property and getting out. They're gonna turn these crazy progressive DAs loose and crime is gonna ravage the most beautiful areas and cities in America and the real estate is gonna plummet down to the bottom of anything and the uh, elites are gonna come in and buy up all the property and reinstate law enforcement and have the biggest land transfer in the history of the world. When you see the corruption, when you see the violence, when you see the corruption that we now have a two-tier justice system, President Trump, because of some boxes of documents, has 37 counts against him, and President Biden, with all of his... uh, money pandering around the nations of the world with his son and Hunter Biden. There's two different justice systems. One is like when you talk about Hunter Biden and, 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 and the Biden family selling their favors, basically, political favors around. It's like yawn, like there's nothing here to see. <laughs> Here's some boxes, and Trump gets 37 counts yesterday. And I saw the picture of Biden pulling out his Corvette and his garage is surrounded with documents. <laughs> it's just the corruption. You know, the, the, the root of this Hebrew word is decay. You ever open the fridge and then just something's been there too long? So, <laughs> That's what it's like every time you turn on the news now. It's like, <laughs> the corruption and the decay just makes you sad. Just like hits you in the face. <laughs> There's something dead. The swamp. The Lord sees this. In the midst of all this, Noah now hears. He hears the message of the Lord. The Lord God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me, in verse 13, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood, make rooms in the ark, and cover it inside and outside with pitch. And this is how you shall make it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, its width 50 cubits, and its height 30 cubits. You shall make a window for the ark, and you shall finish it to the cubit above from above, and set a door of the ark in its side. You shall make it with lower, second, and third decks. Behold, I myself am bringing floodwaters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh in which has been the breath of life. Everything that is on the earth shall die. So he says, I want you to, don't think of, why is it called an ark? An ark is basically like a shoebox, like the shape of a shoebox, right? It's an ark because it's basically a barge. That would be a better word for it. It's a barge. The ark of the covenant that would come later, which was about three, two and a half feet, right, is like a box. So it's just the shape. It only has to float. It doesn't have to navigate. The waters are going to lift it up, and it's going to float around, as we see at the end of uh, chapter 50, for 150 days, and then the waters slowly start to recede, and it's not till about 300 days, you know, not quite a whole year before the ark settles on Mount Ararat. 
And he, he gives them this ginormous project, right? There's no Home Depot down the street, right? There's no power tools. There's no nail gun. There's no drills. But he's got three strong boys. And so these four men and their wives are going to build a boat that is 450 feet long, football field and a half. This is a basically about the size of the Titanic, just to give it some you know, perspective for you. If you haven't seen the ark, the physical ark that is built to these dimensions in Kentucky by Ken Ham, I encourage you to go and to be in awe. Because when you come up in it, you're just like, the thing is so huge, and it's got three decks. It's basically like a tourist place with a biblical history uh, slant to it, like if uh, Disneyland turned Christian. <laughs> Wouldn't that be something? Anyway, so it, it's going to have, have three decks, all right? And, and then it's going to have 18 inches all the way around the top for ventilation because you get all those animals in there, right? Heat rises, smell rises, woo! That place is going to be a very ripe place for a year. And they're going to have provisions, as we'll see in a little bit as we read this. And so it's a huge boat. Now, you say, well, you couldn't fit all the animals. Do you know that the average size of an animal on earth is about the size of a sheep? About the size of a sheep. And this boat with these dimensions and its cubic capacity on three levels could have on half of the boat, three levels, half the boat, 156,000 sheep. And then living quarters, supplies, all the other resources. So what about the dinosaurs and all those different things? Well, they don't have to take, when we get to the animals, which we will next week, two by two, they don't have to take adult-sized animals, right? They can take infants in anything that they do. Unfortunately for them, the Lord brings the animals to them two by two. Can you imagine that uh, uh, fish and game wildlife roundup? If you're trying to round up, the Lord just brings them to them. Now Noah believes. What, what does he just hear? He says, the Lord says that he's going to bring judgment. There's going to be a flood. How does faith work? Faith works, I hear from God. I believe what God says. And that that produces a saving faith. He hears this in verse 18, but I will establish my covenant with you and you shall go into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. No transgender animals are gonna work. You've gotta have reproductive abilities. Of the birds after their kind, of animals after their kind, and every creeping thing on the earth after its kind. Two of every kind will come to you and to keep them alive. And we'll see in the next chapter that he gets an additional seven of clean animals because of some things we'll talk about at that time. Noah is also to provide, in verse 21, and you shall take for yourself of all food that is eaten, and you shall gather it to yourself, and that shall be food for you and for them. So he's going to be doing dry storage of grains, seeds that can survive. Uh, you know, there's no uh, need of refrigeration. Animals can eat it. He's got to gather all those supplies. How long is this going to take? Chapter 5 ends. He's 500 years old. Chapter 7, he's 600 years old, and the flood comes. So 100 years. 
And what does it say? Noah obeys. Thus Noah did according to all that God commanded, so he did. Can you imagine God telling you to take on this project? You're having a hard time teaching Sunday school twice a month on a Sunday morning. And the Lord says, no, I want you to spend the next hundred years of your life building six days a week because they had the, the mode that God worked six days and rested even in those ancient times. So I want you guys to work hard. You're gonna get this gopher wood. You're gonna cover it with pitch on the outside and the inside, which would preserve it, waterproof it. And Noah obeyed. And because Noah, what if, just pray tell, like when God asks us to do something, we just kind of blow God off. What would have been the results of disobedience in this situation? <laughs> no humans, <laughs> no humanity, no, no civilization. We wouldn't be here today. And I've shared this with you a couple of times, but about eight years ago, they did the largest DNA study in the history of the world. 100,000 different DNAs or part of the strand, because when you're crunching, I guess, that kind of data, you can only do part of the helix, the strand of the DNA. And they came out with a conclusion that the scientists were very troubled by. It said that we all came from one set of parents. We all came from Noah and Mrs. Noah, but more than that, we, all of us came from either Shem, Ham, or Japheth. And these are when we get to the table of nations and we see how the people surrounded through, uh, went out through the earth, it is the most ancient document and history of how peoples populated the earth in all of ancient scripture. And it's so important. The first 11 chapters of Genesis are so crucial. That's why you want to go back to the beginning, which Genesis means the beginning. But here, Noah, it says that he was a preacher of righteousness. Peter calls him a preacher of righteousness. Can you imagine what the neighbors thought? If you started building a boat that's 450 feet long in your backyard, right? It's 450 feet long. It's 75 feet wide. It's 45 feet tall. Don't you know everybody in the neighborhood would call him old crazy Noah? Oh, crazy Noah, and he's preaching. He's a preacher of righteousness. He's telling them, repent, get right with God. The judgment of God is coming. And he was a preacher of righteousness for 100 years without any fruit. How do we know there was no fruit? Because still only eight people got in the boat because everybody thought he was nuts. Everybody thought he was crazy. Brothers and sisters, when we believe God's word and we do what God shows us to do, it doesn't mean that there's gonna be a ton of fruit all the time. Our job is, it's, duty is our job, the results are God's, right? We, if we're faithful with the, the responsibilities that God gives us, then the fruit or the results, that's up to him. And that really sets us free because oftentimes we're expending a lot of effort and we don't see a lot of fruit. Ask Jeremiah, <laughs> the guy that was the weeping prophet that had very little fruit from his incredible ministry. Isaiah, the same thing, very little fruit. But Noah's fruit is sitting in this room. Noah's fruit, that he bore the responsibility, because Noah could have shirked, he could have dodged this responsibility. He said, why me? Why am I the guy? Pick him. Pick somebody else. Pick somebody else's family. 
No, but he said, Lord, no, I'm going to trust you. I get to be a part of saving, saving humanity, saving the animal kingdom so that we had a reboot. How do you, as the God of the universe, hit reset? You know they tell you when your computer goes glitchy, what's the first thing you do? Turn it off and on. Anytime I call some tech, they go, did you turn it off? Yes, I did it three times. Turned it off and on. Reboot, reset. The Lord reset society. Can you imagine if the wickedness was this 6,000 years ago or 5,000 years ago? Imagine where we would be today. You and I have the joy on this Saturday night of finding favor with God through his grace. Through the love of God for you, the love of God for me, we are not perfect. Because I think that sometimes people are a little freaked out when we see what's going on in the world. Don't you think Noah's a little freaked out? A flood's gonna come, I hope this boat holds together. He's not a boat builder, right? There's no class, there's no engineering. He hasn't been to school, but God gave him the blueprint. But I love what Peter says, and he says it in context of all of this, of the angels, that got involved with those people at the flood. It says in 2 Peter chapter 2, verses four through nine, God did not spare the angels who sinned, he brought judgment. He did not spare the ancient world, he brought a flood to the world to judge them for sin. He turned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, judging their sin. But in the midst of that, he saved Noah. He delivered Lot And the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. God knows how to deliver us, you guys. And his favor is with us. No matter how dark this gets out here, we're coming through this. We're coming through it. Because our God is faithful and he will direct us. That's why it's so important to know the scriptures and to feed upon the scriptures because it fills you with courage and faith rather than fear and despair. Some of us are filled with fear and despair. Shake it off and trust the Lord because you and I win. We win. Noah and his family won. They came through the flood because there's nothing that this world can do to us. The worst they can do to us is take take our life. And when they do that, they've just given us our ticket home. So it's hard to threaten people with death when that's your graduation day. You're like, right on. Let's get with it. Right? Let's see what God does. He's able to bring us through. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your goodness. You truly are faithful. You know the beginning from the end, Lord. You alone. There is no one beside you, Lord. No other. And we pray that as we seek your face tonight, as we worship you in spirit and truth, that your word would fill your people's hearts with faith, hope, and love. Faith that we can trust you. Hope at the certainty of coming good from the hand of a loving God. (laughs) And as we trust you, and as we are filled with hope, Lord, help us walk in love with the people who are around us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.